Hey everybody, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Real Talk podcast. We hope that these discussions will inform and inspire you to engage in your own Real Talk. Today's episode is brought to you by our official sponsor, Trivan, builders of custom trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at www.trivan.com. A big thanks to them for making these conversations possible. Now, on to the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Real Talk podcast. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, hosted an episode, so um, haven't seen my face in a while, but uh, the family and I made it to Calgary and we've settled in here. So I have a new kind of studio here and I don't have any of the Real Talk uh, swag behind me, but hopefully that uh, comes in time. But today I have uh, Matt Morrison on. Uh, we're going to talk about evolution. So it's going to be an interesting conversation, something that I'm sure people have talked about a lot and um, everyone's kind of familiar with, but uh, we're going to talk about creation and evolution and different theories uh, of evolution. And then, you know, why, why we believe creation and six day creation specifically. Uh, So I'll maybe pass it over to Matt and maybe you can just introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell the listeners why you're interested in this. Okay. Uh, Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, as you as you know, my name's Matt Matt Morrison. Um, I've been a Christian for quite some time. Um, anyways, through my walk with God, uh, you know, I got saved when I was a young man, teenager, really. And and during my walk with God, I'm kind of a I'm a very I hate to say I don't know use the word intellectual, but I like to have answers for things. I'm not happy with just uh, you know, well, that, well, that it's just, that's just the way it is. Right. And I noticed that there's a lot of that, um, whether it be in Christianity and, and even in the world, right. I, I noticed a lot of the things that I grew up learning in, in school, I went to public school and, um, specifically regarding origins. Now I say origins because we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but a yeah. lot of what's passed off as science is really a philosophical idea, uh, something, you know, when, when we're speaking of origin. So I know anyone that's gone to public school has almost universally grown up with that, those ideas. So for me, when I got saved, these, there were some tough questions, tons of tough questions, as we all have, you know, why is there a hell, all these kind of deep philosophical questions. But one of the looming was, was how, how do these two fit together? Either you know, something's wrong with the way I'm reading the Bible or something's wrong with the information I got in high school and the information that's uh, so prevalent in the in the world today. So that put me on my own personal quest um, to find these answers, to really understand. Right. And I, I believe as Christians, um, not only just for us, but for those that we are going to encounter in our lives and for the people that we work with, for those that will ask for the question of the hope that we have inside, we should be able to defend our position. So I kind of right. came up with that. So over the years, I've done many, you know, personal study into these answers, hearing both sides of the arguments to try and discern, you know, what what's true. Yeah. So I think I think when we first met, you you mentioned that you had you had spent a thousand hours researching evolution. So and yeah this whole debate so that's why you stuck in my mind and i wanted to get you on to just just start this conversation and and kind of lay the groundwork for like 
if even if we do future episodes with, with like, you know, maybe professors who have studied particular parts of this, just right. to give us like a, an overview. But why did why did why did you land on evolution specifically? Like, why wouldn't why wouldn't you have started uh, from a different point? Well, for it's not just evolution, but I, I'm, I mean, I'm in my early 40s now, so I've had a long time to study a lot of different <laughs> topics. But I can say that for me, one of the glaring issues was long periods of time and sin, right? So when we speak of uh, death, that was the biggest issue for me, right? The, the Bible speaks of, you know, the wages of sin is death. So right. if I'm, if I'm going to accept any sort of um, evolutionary background now, when we see evolution, there's many different, there's many different, it's a spectrum really. And especially when we get into Christianity, you know, there's theistic evolution, there's um, uh, the gap theory, which is the long period of time before man was created and so on. There's many different theories out there, but to me, anything other than the six day creation the way that we we see it recorded in Genesis really upends the gospel because it puts it puts uh, death before sin, which really starts. It's really kind of takes an attack at the gospel. So I had a hard time with that. That's what really got me interested in it because I had even been maybe even somewhat receptive to the idea, and I probably had that position when I when I was a new Christian that okay, well it's probably long periods of time that took place. And, you know, we understand the way we understand Genesis could be a little bit off, blah, blah, blah. And I had these, you know, this long period of time idea in my mind. And so the more I studied the word of God, just for personal, you know, for personal growth, and I, I preach at my church, and I teach classes theology. Um, I had a real hard time with this whole idea of death before sin. It's, it upends the gospel. So to me, I thought that I know that God's real. I, I know that the word of God is true. So there has to be an explanation for this. There has to be something I'm missing and something I've been lied about. So I, that put me on a quest to really hear all sides of the arguments here. You know, why? How do they how do they arrive at evolution? How do they arrive at these long periods of time? What was the purpose that anyone in the church ever adopted the idea? and I really wanted to know, like, is there any kind of solidified argument for these things? So that really is what put me on the quest to that, because I think it has crucial implications to the gospel. And historically, we see that that is true. There's good examples, even from Princeton University's theological department um, on, on that. Right. So well, maybe, let's, years, maybe let's just dig into into that a bit. Like, why is this such an important topic for Christians? Like, why can't we just accept what the mainstream say scientists are, are saying? And why can't we just, you know, accept um, Genesis as a, uh, you know, the first chapters in Genesis as, as, you know, some kind of poetic fairy tale of, of creation? Like, why, why, yeah, like, let, I guess let's drill into that, uh, like, death before, um before okay. Sin. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot to say here for this. A lot. There's a lot of reasons for this. So, I mean, maybe later on I'll ch just show a quick example from Princeton University of the progression of that. But sure. if we're going to talk in terms of um, 
of the word of God, for instance. So like you said, why can't we just look at it as some kind of fairy tale, right? Well, first of all, for the Christian, um, those, if we look at the ancient Hebrew and we look at the, the structure of the language in Genesis, we notice that it's literal, right? Like it, it, it doesn't have the poetic um, prose to it. The way that it's written is to be taken literal and it's followed up by a genealogy, right? So after the creation account, it's, it's followed up by a genealogy starting with Adam. So right. at what point, at what point here do I start to take it literally? And is it figurative, right? So if, this, if the creation account was literal, at what point along the spectrum do I say, or figurative, sorry, at what point on, along the spectrum do I take it? Um, oh, now it's, now it's turning literal. Now the genealogy is literal. Furthermore, it, it, it brings into question many of the things that we believe about the word of God, the flood of Noah, miracles, Christ himself. We know that in the, um, we know that in the early church, you know, after Christ resurrected and, and went back to heaven, uh, that, or left the earth, we know for sure that there was a group called the Gnostics. I'm not sure if you've ever, if you're familiar with that, but the Gnostics believed in that Jesus didn't resurrect in the material sense. He was, it was a, like a, you know, like a mystical resurrection or just right. kind of like a, like an angel almost. And okay. that, in fact, many of the epistles, if you, if you take, you know, if you take a good read of the epistles in the new Testament, many of them are, um, written for the fact of refuting Paul. Most of the epistles you'll find, you know, when you think, I don't know if you're familiar with the word apologetics or defending the yep. faith. Yeah. I mean, most of the New Testament, especially the letters to the churches, are basically a, a, apologetic letters. They're they're defending the faith from these types of heresies, whether it yep. be from the, the Judaizers who we're trying to lay heavy burdens on people. You got to fall, jump through these steps, basically replacing the gospel with, with um, you know, works. Or a lot of it was this Gnosticism that was coming in to try and explain away um, the miracles of Christ, the resurrection of Christ as basically figurative. Now, Paul makes it clear in those letters that if Christ, um, if Christ didn't resurrect, then our faith is in vain, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're to be pitied more than anybody. So really, that's that's what I think about when we talk about evolution, when we talk about um, Genesis and the accounts of Genesis. We have to understand that we got to we got to decide in the Bible how we're going to view it. Are we going to view it as the authoritative word of God? Are we going to view it as literal or are we going to accept these ideas of, you know, maybe it's figurative and go down a path that could potentially try to explain away everything, including miracles. Maybe the miracles are figurative. Maybe Jesus really didn't raise Lazarus from the dead. Maybe right. Elijah didn't go up in a chariot of fire. Do you know what I mean? There's so many things now that come into question that right. a, in order for me to accept long periods of time, I have to start um, the process of, I don't know if you're familiar with the term exegesis, yes. basically interpreting the Bible. So I've, there's a method of interpreting the Bible. There's many methods, but if you're going to take, you know, the most, the most concrete method, the literal method, then I have to change it in order to fit evolution in there or a long right. period of time. 
So that's where I, I wasn't willing to do that because now I'm basically slicing and dicing the Bible into something that's completely not what it is. Right. Yeah. Then it's, it's, it starts to be really hard to draw lines at what stories. Yeah. What. Where, how do I know where to draw the lines? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who's Which is that? interesting that not like, that's not a common argument you hear, is it? Like people aren't ad- advocating evolution, but then also advocating, you know, yeah. Having more, all the passages, like you just mentioned, like Elijah going up a chariot of fire and even maybe the flood or like people don't often advocate for those being uh, no poetic interpretations or anything. No, you don't. And I think that although the flood gets, gets attacked quite a bit and I'm sure we'll get to that. There's a lot yeah. to say about that, especially about geological evidence. In fact, um, ge- geology is really where all this started with a geologist, with a secular geologist, a rich guy, really, he wasn't really a geologist, but in the 1700s, um, let me look up his name again. I'm slipping my mind. Um, Got him in my notes here. But anyway, he's the one that, uh, uh, Lyle, uh, what's his, I'm just drawing a blank on his name. Uh, Sorry here. Hey, no, you're, you're ahead of he, me here. Yeah, I got him in my, my notes here. But anyway, Lyle was the one that Darwin credited with um, with most of his ideas, right? He says this, Darwin says this. Darwin says, um, I always feel as though half of my books came directly out of Lyle's brain. And, <laughs> and you, Lyle was the first one to start with... Um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on his first name. Um, anyway, he was the first one to start uh, the the idea of long periods of time, right? And really, the whole idea of evolution comes from, uh, or the, the the idea that we have to to interpret the world in a certain way comes from this quote that he made, and basically a rule that he set up that has nothing to do with um, nothing to do with with science per se or nothing to do with truth and reality but he says everything can and must be explained by time and chance and the laws of nature acting upon matter so he just in his mind that's the way it should be he says it here too um he says here i've always uh charles Lyle. i've always been strongly impressed with the weight of an observation of an excellent writer and skillful geologist who said that for the sake of revelation, as well as of science, the truth in every form, the physical part of geological inquiry ought to be conducted as if the scriptures were not in existence. Oh, so he comes right and says it. That's the, no, that, we got to remember that this is before any of, this is in the 1700s. This is before any of the modern uh, methods of, of, of scientific study, right? This is before any modern experiments that we had. So right away, this is, he's, he's laying the groundwork. He's saying that the only way to know anything is, is through materialism. He's a naturalist. And, And again, this is where we get to that. It starts on a philosophical basis, right? Who's to say that? Yeah. He just sets the groundwork. You can't, well, we, well, what if there's something other than what we can observe? Well, there can't be. Well, says who? 
Well, says me, apparently. So this, <laughs> this is where people don't, if people take a little bit of time to look into history, these are the basis. This is where Darwin started with. So this guy was studying rocks. And again, he was, it was his interpretation. This is how he started. And, and he was an advent, like an avid uh, atheist and was trying to explain away the scriptures his whole life. That was his whole deal. So, of course, this is his bent. So he sets the groundworks. We have to study as, as though the scriptures weren't in existence. Right. We see that this is the foundation, really, of the modern form of now. We know from the scriptures that, and from just history, thousands of years, men has tried to say there's no God. Like, this is nothing yeah. new as far as, as far as the implications. It's just the method. The method of trying to explain it away through this quote-unquote science, again, it's, science is what can be observed in the lab. When, when most people think of science nowadays, science really just means knowledge, right? If we define it, that's what science is really talking about. So then by the, by the actual definition of science, knowledge can be um, so many things. It's not just the, you know, the scientific experiment or the scientific method as we know it, hypothesis, um, experiment, observations, conclusions, right? right. If, if we, science is just knowledge, science, political science, mm-hmm. you know, the study of scriptures is science in the, in the, de- in the, you know, in the most historical definition form of the definition. But today when we, when we, the word science is almost used as like a magic phrase. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> We've seen that the last couple years. Follow yes. the science. I'll tell you what, the last couple of years, there was nothing scientific about following the science. In fact, you had to shut your brain off in order to follow the science. It right. was dogmatic. <laughs> it was purely dogmatic. It wasn't uh, knowledgeable in nature. It was they were telling you that I'm an expert and you just have to follow me because. Right. Right. And that kind of like it kind of feeds to what Darwin is, too. Like, yeah. So I guess that kind of feeds into like how is evolution developed? I guess we could talk about the history of it, but how has it developed into what we now can recognize as a religion instead of uh, a scientific theory or scientific like um, procedure or approach to, to seeing the world? Okay, well, so we'll start with Lyle. We get Darwin, right? Right. And then over the years, there was um, this progression, even in Princeton University, so uh, if we'll talk about three different people here, but we got A.A. Um, a. Hodge. He was a theologian at Princeton, the head theologian at Princeton University, right? And he began to build, he was always a creationist. Again, pressure from the world, pressure from people like Darwin, pressure from, from the world and being called a moron, basically, in, a, in, in, a, in you know, layman's terms for not believing it. He started to, you know, adopt the idea of maybe a theistic evolution, you know, an evolution um, guided by uh, God, right? Sorry, Charles Hodge. Then A.A. Hodge, his son, basically took over years later. He began to build upon that. And that's where we got theistic evolution. By 1921, um, sorry, by 1910, we had B.B. Warfield. And he basically, at that point, took that even further, right? He died in 1921, and after his death at um, Princeton, so he was, he was in, again, these are the successions of the theological professors at Princeton. 
So each one built upon in, deg in a degradative way, built upon another. And I don't know if you know who Charles Templeton is. You remember Billy Graham? Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. So Charles Templeton, he was probably more charismatic preacher. He was, they would say he was the better preacher of the two. And we all know that he lost his faith. Well, he went to Princeton Theological Seminary. And again, after this progression, after this procession of, of um, theologians slowly conceding to the world over, you know, three generations, Templeton went to Princeton Seminary and lost his faith. Huh. Can you imagine that? Because this is what happens. This is what happens. They, when, when someone takes a logical, um, really uh, intrinsic look at it, I, I'm, I'm going to be confronted with, do I believe these people that evolution is true? Or do I believe the word of God? So again, like you said, the science, what are the scientific implications of evolution and how did it grow scientifically? Well, really, when we, if we take a real good, solid historical look at evolution as, as a science, it is not a science. There's nothing scientific about it. Evolution in the macro form, because there's two types of evolution. I'll tell you that in one sec, but evolution in the macro form doesn't exist. It's an idea. The Bible says, stay away from vain imaginations, right? Or these people by their vain imaginations come up with these crazy things that really evolutions of vain imagination. What Darwin was doing on the Island of Galapagos was vain imaginations. He was seeing birds of different kinds and then making this quantum leap to the, somehow they, they got that way through small changes, which brings me to this right here. This is now when someone says to you, evolution's a proven fact. Technically, by the own their own twisted definition nowadays, they're correct because microevolution is a proven fact. However, microevolution is really a misnomer. It shouldn't be called evolution at all because it's it's a degradation of species. So Mike, uh, I always use my bulldog as an example. I have a half English, half French bulldog, right? I think you met her when you were here that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, she's far less genetically capable than, you know, than the wolf or the dingo or whatever that she came from. Right. She has less genetic codes available to her. In other words, you could breed from the wolf down to Millie, to my dog, but you could never breed from Millie to a wolf. Because right. the genes that you need for the long fur, the long stuff, all those things, they're gone. They've been they've been bred out. So right. that that's called microevolution. Or now macroevolution is really what the theory is 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 built upon. We need to find some evidence of that. That's something gaining genetic codes through a mutation of some sort, gaining genetic right. information over time through mutations has never, ever been observed. In fact, the exact opposite has been observed throughout every life. Every single person on Earth right now is a living, living experiment of the exact opposite. That genetic mutations produce, produce death. Genetic mutations produce decay. Genetic mutations produce entropy. The, hmm. the second law of thermodynamics is, is at play here is we're slowly degrading, we're slowly decaying. Each generation, um, you know, their genetics get worse and worse every 
generation. It's a very, very slow thing, but it's slowly taking place. In fact, there's one, I can't remember his name right now. One of the many, you know, lectures I've listened to, but he makes the point he's a geneticist, but he says if, if given enough time, you know, another thousand years from now, the average lifespan without insane medical intervention would be like 30 years because of gen- genetic mutations stacking up. Hmm. And ultimately, if there was no disease, genetic mutations would kill us all. And that's why we age. That's why we get wrinkly. That's why we lose our hair. That's why all of these things take place. We get decrepit. Our bones get brittle because we are, are copying errors in our genes. So really, from a scientific standpoint, in, the, in terms of, you know, the scientific experiment, hypotheses, you know, running an experiment, um, we, we've disproven evolution in the macro sense, which right. is really which is really what evolution is. Microevolution shouldn't even be called evolution because it's the exact opposite. It's the loss. Yeah, it's it's the more like is it, it's more like adaptation. But I get like what you're describing is consistent with the biblical worldview and, and having a sinful, yeah. cursed world. but. How is the the genetic uh, differences that you're talking about where, you know, genetics devolve like your dog can't become a wolf, but wolf could become your, you know, yeah. could become a, a pit bull or a, or a bulldog. How, how is that, how does that compare to say somebody describing, uh, you know, a, a, a wild deer that now adapts better in the desert than it did uh in its like mountain range where it was like you know that you have examples of people moving animals and them you know yeah creating different adaptations to deal with that is that evidence that like how is that genetic or is that you know, no see that i love that you, you brought that up because that's a common one and people get confused by that and it's the same with viruses so people will always cite a virus how a virus can adapt right right or how viruses, a common one is this, viruses become resistant to antibiotics. Like the flu learns how you're fighting it. Yeah. So like something that a bacteria that comes resistant to antibiotics over time, right? Well, well, what's really happening there is this. So this is what I mean. We it's it's portrayed, it's it's a sleight of hand. And really, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is why if you really take a study into it, if the Christian would you know, don't allow the world to call you an idiot. Just take a, a, a attack it head on. What you find is that the reason why that takes place in bacteria, for instance, is because the, the in order for them to be killed by anti antibiotics, they have to have receptors that accept the antibiotics. But what happens is the bacteria that lose those receptors. Again, it's a loss of information. Right. They, they are able to stick around. And that's what it is. Same with the same with, you know, something that's uh, a wolf or um, long for short for all this type of thing. The dog that, you know, survives in a, in a climate that's, you know, got, for instance, a dog that, you know, had long fur, they moved to like a desert, whatever, like a dingo or something. And they, and they survive. Well, really what's taken place is all the genes for long fur are gone now. And the only ones that survived were the ones that could, get short fur right so what really it's a lot again it's it, it's it's a process of losing genetics so it's a it's portrayed as like a the the virus or, or the animal is strengthening themselves in their environment but really they're actually losing something in order to 
adapt to an attack or or something. If you look at it, we have so many genes. Like if your gene pool, my gene pool, um, just look at how people's kids, right? Um, Or the fact that, you know, I look like some of my uncles. Well, they're far removed from me, but I'll I'll look like my great uncle. How did that happen? Well, because there was genes inside my father that weren't prominent in his makeup but that were still there. There was codes there to choose from. So if you look at it almost like our genetics are like a big library, a big library of blueprints that our body can choose from how to build us. Right. So what happens in the, in the case of those dingoes and those viruses that are adapting, really what's happening is, 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 is selection of certain genes. It, there's more genes available. So the further down the line we get, we have less genes available because we know recessive genes get get expelled, right? Right. Just right. Like they say, for instance, a good example of this is blue eyes. Blue eyes is a recessive gene, and they say I don't know what the what the uh, estimate is now, but I think like by twenty seventy five, there'll be no more blue eyes on Earth. Right. Right. So, how does that happen? If only like baldness was also recessive and <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so so they're it's it's losing, we're losing it. We're losing that recessive gene, the dominant genes taking place. Right. So really, we don't have any evidence at all. In fact, we have the opposite evidence of something all of a sudden through some random mutation um, gets a new you know, gene, if you will, or coding. So that it can produce something different. So, right. so do do evolutionists, evolutionary theorists, and scientists do they accept this, or do they do they say that there is uh, a change, like in our current day, even because they day, haven't been able to show it? But yeah, like they'll have to say here. I think I have a quote from another guy, a prominent evolutionist, who again will say he hates that he's dead now, but um, Derek Ager. Um, he says this, uh, this is, this is, this is more, um, to deal with geological evolution, but he says, my excuse for this lengthy and amateur digression into history is that I've been trying to show that I think geology got into the hands of, uh, theor, I can't say the word, theoreticians, basically theoretical, um, uniformitarians who are conditioned by social and political history of their day more than the observations in the field. In other words, we have allowed ourselves to be brainwashed into avoiding any interpretation of the past that involves extreme and what might be termed catastrophic processes. So he he also said, because many uh, creationists would use that quote and he condemned it. I didn't write that there for that reason. But he can admit that in university today's in the universities, what's taken place is it's it's a dogmatic assertion. It's a it's a brainwashing, and most scientists will admit there's many there's many uh, evolutionists that will admit like the there's some there's some atheists atheistic scientists that will even admit that we almost have to abandon evolution at this point, like until we come up with a different theory. We don't we don't have. They're not, they don't think, they don't believe in God. Their hearts still say that there is no God, but they say there's no evidence for macro evolution because there really isn't. So I think that any person, again, 
scientists, and I don't consider people like Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins good scientists. And furthermore, neither do most serious, like, you know, I say evolutionist, but I'll say a geologist or a serious biologist. Right. They really don't like the way that those two carry on because they're full of dogmatic assertions, which an honest, serious, um, atheistic biologist or atheistic uh, geologist or cosmologist, whatever you want to say, they won't make those assertions. They'll say, listen, we can't just insert a God. And that's what that's where that's where most serious scientists lie. They'll say we just can't insert a God in absence of an explanation. We have to find a natural explanation. Right. Right. I want to I want to get to Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins because they're they're interesting. But I let's do that in a bit, because I think they come back into how we view it as Christians, because yeah. they're digging at they're digging at the heart of it, which is like the meaning and the 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 metaphysical reality. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily that the science and the, the observable env- like world that that Darwin was, you know, allegedly drawing off of. But let's yeah. can we zoom? Let's 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 zoom out for a minute, like to give people a picture of like, what is the current evolutionary theory that's widely accepted? And like, why has that become uh, something that you hear from everybody that like no one's really questioning it anymore? I mean, you went to public school and I'm sure that yeah. was just like taught as right. fact. But then like, how did that come about? And then like, why is everybody on that bandwagon? Now, that's a really good question. And honestly, I don't think there is. The more you look into this, the more you actually listen to some of these guys, the serious scientists. Again, I'm not trying to to like a serious scientist. Some of these guys are just misguided. And when we get to, a, a let's say, a serious biologist who actually are a chemist, um, uh, if you want a, go- a really good um, a creationist chemist is Dr. James Tour. Yet he holds the most patents on earth for in chemistry. And he's the first one to actually make a molecular machine that moves. So, yeah, and he's a creationist. So anyways, there's but in his peers, there's other guys that are excellent chemists, but they they come from the you know, they come from an atheistic. I use the word atheistic um, because their view of evolution is a lot different than the mainstream. They come from a point of at least they're being true to the science in the sense that they say, I have no evidence concretely for evolution. At this point, it's the best best hypothesis, right? A lot of them stand in that place. They're atheists. They say, I have no evidence of God, but they'll say the best hypothesis I have is that there's got to be some sort of process that made things spontaneously exist, right? Right. So when you take it to mainstream, really what takes place is the spirit of this world takes this information and makes a dogmatism out of it turns it into this, you know, turns it into this religious idea, really. And that's where you get guys like Harris and Dawkins who very rarely say anything of any scientific significance at all. Right. Everything they have, you know, Richard Dawkins make these great big pictures, basically like children's coloring books, but species moving to one. It's all conjecture. That's all it is. It's all a speculation. There's, There's zero evidence for any of it. And it's very little to do with science. But really, when you dig deeper into it, it's it's a deception. And the more 
honestly, the, the more you research it, the more you start to see that there really is a God of this world and he's trying to deceive as many as he can. So that the heart that turns away from God will, will find a reason to explain him away. And really that's the basis of most evolutionary theories. If you go to your high school professor, um, science professor, and you really grill them on evolution, you're going to find a huge void in knowledge there. And you'll find that he has very few answers, if any, for the reasons why he believes it. Again, you'll get something like, well, that's the consensus. Well, says who? The consensus of where? Well, that's just what everyone believes, which is never a good reason. Again, I teach a, I teach a class on defending your faith at our church. And I always talk, I, go, I do a, a whole three weeks on logical fallacies, right? And one yeah. of the, I think the, the biggest fallacy that's used in this case is the appeal to authority. Right. And really, that's, that's what most of this is based on. Well, the textbook, look at the textbook, a professionally produced textbook. That's what the textbook <laughs> is. Yes, but does it make any sense? <clears throat> right. We love that conversation the last yeah. couple of years, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Put, put that information to the test. Does it stand the logical test? No, it doesn't. It's illogical. So I think that, again, when you get into most of this when you get really dig deep, you'll find that most scientists or cosmologists or whatever, they're on a quest to look for um, something to bolster their predetermined uh, notion of evolution. So right. they say, again, they're building upon uh, Lyle's assertion that everything must be explained through natural processes. Hmm. There can be nothing else. And, and, and that's where it began. And really, everything that we do today in our textbooks and so on, and even those, science, those scientists that are brilliant, they'll even make discoveries in, in, in chemistry and in biology, but their philosophical assumptions are, are, are bolstered because of that claim. They approach science from that idea that there is nothing else to know other than the material world. Right. Okay, well, let's... Let's dig into some of those specifics from geology then, because yeah. I mean, I just moved to Calgary, which is right near Drumheller, which is like the, the, you know, center of, of dinosaur research or something out here, yeah. I hear. Um, what, like, let's talk about like some of the discoveries people make, like people talk about finding, you know, the typical eras, like Paleolithic, uh, you know, era people peoples who came to North America and they're tracking people's movements everywhere. And that's allegedly, you know, 10 million years old. And, and they can know this because of radiocarbon dating and stuff like that. Like, where does this, how do we know some of this stuff? Like, like where is the science going wrong here? And like, I get that people are like trying to go down their own rabbit hole. Cause I've listened to these guys, like, one yeah. one guy will be like, well, this is what happened. And the next guy says, well, you're crazy. There's actually no evidence for that. And they go back and forth in their own world. Like, how do we know what to trust? Can we trust these tests? Can we trust these fossils and things that they find? Or is everyone just making stuff up over here? Well, we got a few things on that. Well, uh, remind me not to forget about the dating because that's really, especially oh, yeah. carbon dating. I'm C4- really curious about it. So C14 dating is um you know short periods of time basically the, the it's basically 
measuring the half-lives of C14 in any specimen, right? Carbon-14 atoms. So over time, they'll, they'll, they'll be less and less, right? So, so they measure the half-life and that's decently accurate. And, but we know that, that just from doing the math that anything past 10,000 years ish is basically all C14 dating could even deal with. Right. Right. Because the specimens would be so unviable at the, to test there'd be so, so much decay that it would be no longer um, discernible. Right. So right. For so, thousands, so for in the thousands of year range, it's okay. Now radiocarbon dating. So radioisotopes, radioactive isotopes as a totally different thing. And it's completely unverified science. Right. So they'll say, this is what they'll say. Radiocarbon dating deals with millions of years, things into the millions and hundreds of millions of years. But how can we verify that, right? We so can what, verify. What's the difference? I'm just so I thought. Well, I mean, I I thought they were synonymous terms, but C14 no. dating is what I'm more familiar with, which is like I for people who don't know, like they they say that organisms um, absorb carbon as they're yes. living, and when they die, they stop absorbing it, and it decays at a certain rate, which they assume is constant. Right. As far as we know, it's constant. Right now, C, and that's what I mean by C14. C14 will be, if you just extrapolate the math, so we know we have things that we know are 3,000 years old. We right. know them, you know, a text or something, right? That yeah. we have a very decent idea or something that was built. Like we could take, you know, uh, an ancient right. building and we can date um, the stones in it or whatever. And we can get an accurate date within, you know, Few hundred years because yes. we know we know the data but we can test it however c14 like you said the decay the slow decay of c14 the amount of c14 left after around ten thousand years it, it becomes like so small yeah indiscernible really it's well even in even in hundreds of years there's still a variance so i yes. i was listening to a podcast they were they were talking about or maybe it was an audiobook you're talking about dating a buffalo skull that was found yeah. in the Rockies and it was uh, the date they came back was somewhere around um, the date that uh, the States was uh, instituted basically. Like, so there, yeah. that was kind of cool, but there was still like a 50 year uh, kind of margin of error that they accounted for. Right. So I can, I can only imagine that it would extrapolate like you get 10,000 years from now, they have less and less idea. Right. Now, when I say 10,000 years, I don't believe we've been here for 10,000 years. I just want to buffer that. Right. But that's that's what that's what I mean. So what I'm saying is that kind of dating is half decent. And like you said, it's 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 a rough estimate. It's not going to get you an exact date. It's a rough estimate and it's not bad. And one of the things you mentioned there was about, um, you know, all the conditions on Earth remaining constant, the pressure and all that type of thing. And that's right. what has to which have to be in place. So we know over, you know, at least a few thousand years, three, 4,000 years that that's kind of been the case. Now, when we talk about, when we go to radioactive isotopes, we're talking about um, radioactive isotopes, basically. And that's what they measure. And they'll say those things are useless in the thousands of year range. Now, now they're useless in any range, but the, <laughs> 
but but this, the guys that use them will say will admit they're useless in for the thousands of years they're only good out to the millions of years uh, to which you say okay well how do you uh, how do you know how do you know what and they'll say because of the layers of fossils that we find them so right. the layer of sediment that we find the specimen in we know roughly and then we then we apply the Sorry, then we apply the radioactive isotope dating to it. So we know that it's in the millions. I do the radioactive isotope dating and I get the date. Now, again, the big assumption is that this sedimentary layer of rock is millions of years old at some point, which is the huge false assumption built into that. Furthermore, uh, Mount St. Helens erupts in 1980 and they get a bunch of fresh lava rock, right? So this was like their crack point time to uh, to verify the radioactive isotope dates, and they got a date on the on the two month old fresh rock out of Mount St Helens of three point four million years. Right. <laughs> so, so the radioactive isotope dating failed them there, and there's been a few other instances of that where they thought, okay, we're going to be able to test it and show that it's it's not it's not accurate. It's not. It, it, it's not, uh, we can't, if it was accurate, we wouldn't be even be able to verify it because we have nothing that we know of any age, except for the assumption that the fossil layers that we have, that the layers of sedimentary rock are indeed millions of years old. Again, the basing, the basis of that is an assumption. Right. Which is, which is faulty, which most of them will say, like when they're questioned, they'll say, well, it has to be. We have no other explanation. And you say, well, what about creation? They laugh you out of the room. Right. Because, because to them, it's completely abhorrent, the idea that a, a, a supernatural being created the earth. So it has to be millions <laughs> of years so ingrained in their minds that they dismiss you. Right. Really, it, it's it's an assumption. Yeah, so they, everyone's just out to prove what they already believe, which is, yeah, that's pretty much the definition of a religion. Right. I, and, 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 you know, it's funny because you think, man, these people spend all kinds of money. Um, they built this Hadron Proton Collider, you know, at CERN, right? Yep. They, they built that gigantic Proton Collider to try and recreate singularity, like basically like, recreate the conditions at what they call the singularity and, and see what would happen and blah, blah, blah. Would they really spend that much money if they were under delusion? Well, the Bible and history shows us that men have always spent all kinds of money and effort on complete delusions. Well, um, look at the Tower of Babel. I'm sure that. Yeah, the Tower of, look at Islam. <laughs> How many people on earth believe Islam? How many people go their whole lives studying Islam and it's a complete lie? And right. and most of us would laugh at that. But if you go there, it's the it's the rock solid truth. And with dating, that's another thing. So they'll date. Uh, Fossil specimens, going back to dinosaurs, one thing to always remember, when you go into a museum and you see a full skeleton of a dinosaur, a good 95% of that skeleton is not actually dug up. It, it, right. it's, they only find very small fragments. So really, again, it's an interpretation. This is their interpretation of what that creature would have looked like. Just well, so the interesting you know. thing is they know the color, they know what it ate, they know so what it they ate. say, yes. <laughs> See, I'm I'm really curious about that stuff because there are 
there's evidence of fossils and stuff like that. And maybe yeah. we can talk about the flood because like these mm-hmm. are the things that Christians who are already doubting uh, how like if you if you get absorbed by the world and 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 quote unquote you know solving things with logic and observable science you start stumbling over the creation account and then you start seeing these these fossils and and you get you hear a story about it and you can't verify like you're not going to go do primary research to to discover if this you know clovis point was from a, a caveman like mammoth hunter and it's in you know northern alaska it's like how do you how do we pick these things apart and then like are there theories or are there is there evidence to land all these discoveries inside the biblical worldview i think 100 for sure i mean there has to be but yeah. yeah this is one thing i've learned from god a lot of times some of these things that i've had a hard time with again like you said when you have an experience with God, when, when God brings it to light to you, when you're born again, whatever you want to call it, when you, when you, the lights come on for you. And I know that I know there becomes, again, there's a knowing. I always preach it to people like this when I'm preaching. Um, I could give you a whole uh, thesis on how chocolate tastes, right? Let's say you've never tasted chocolate. I could give you a, a complete library of explanation of chemical breakdown of all the ingredients used of how it was made everything and you would have some intellectual idea of what chocolate tastes like or with none of that you could just take a bite of chocolate and instantly you will know how it tastes right you will know in a way that all of that knowledge could never ever 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 give you you could study your entire life and you're never going to get the knowledge of how it tastes better than just biting on it than, than eating some same right. with that's why God says taste and see that the Lord is good there's an experiential there's a there's a, a light going off type of situation that takes place in the life of a Christian when the Holy Spirit reveals himself to you now that's where I came from when I come to these discoveries I know that you are true Lord I know that your word is true now lead me to the right path to 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 be able to prove that. And this I can say for certain, it's 100% provable because it's true. The word of God is true. Therefore, I guarantee the evidence is out there. And if there is something that seems like like it's real, it's a deception. And we know that in the Scientific American, I don't know if you're um, familiar with that publication, but even uh, what was her name? She was like the missing link. Anyways. She was touted. She was on the cover. I can't remember the name of her. They gave her a name. It was just a chimpanzee. It was just a normal chimpanzee. And most uh, biologists afterwards um, said, you know what, this wasn't, this wasn't a missing link at all. And this, this was supposed thing. to be some, some yeah, creature in between us. Yeah. It had the front page story uh, on the scientific American. I think it was 2008 or nine. I wish I had, I should have written that down, but Uh, She had the front page story, but the retraction came like a year and a half later in the very back page, (laughs) by the way. Do you know what I'm saying? So the average, when we speak about that deception, that's, um, I know I'm getting off topic here, but when we speak about the deception and the misconceptions that are so prevalent in the world, that's where they they come from things like that. 
We see that with the news nowadays too. The news will dip. They'll put a false story out there. They know it's false. And then later they retract it, but it's on the back page. Nobody reads. So that, that lie stays in the majority of people's minds. Same, same with the, uh, with evolution. So when we think of fossils, well, first of all, 95% of fossils are small crustaceans. So when you think, oh, there's billions of fossils. Yeah, there is. There's millions of fossils anyway, for sure. Hundreds of millions. But most of them are like little shells and crustaceans and things like that. The, the vast majority of them are, it's not like you're going out and finding a whole, a whole fleet of, uh, of brontosauruses out in the field. That doesn't happen. They don't find that. Do you right. know what I mean? The Velociraptor. Yeah. A lot of what we do comes from the cinema. The Velociraptor is portrayed as like the six foot um, dinosaur. In reality, it's just a little lizard about this big. Huh. The, rea- the real Velociraptor is small, way smaller than what's on Jurassic Park. Right. So a lot of it is conjecture, and it's really not scientific. It's They, they change it for the movies, right? If you talk to the real um, biologist who's looking this stuff up, or an anthropologist or whatever, um, they're, they're uh, archaeologists, sorry. They're um, anthropologists. They're, they're, they will tell you a different story. And when it comes to fossils too, there's many fossils that they find that they've dated with that radio, radioisotope dating 300 million years. And literally it's a crocodile. That's the exact same as today. Or, or they, you know, they found this one fish and they, um, and they said it was, you know, 180 million years old and they found some in Japan. So right. <laughs> yeah, they did. So when you see these things, they absolutely can fit into the biblical worldview 100%. What has to happen is some investigation uh, needs to take place, and more so from the creationist standpoint. Someone has to investigate with that, with that notion to try and, which, again, here's the other part of it. If you, let's say you decided, hey, I want to go to those fields you were describing, you know, with many fossils, whatever. And I want to go out there with, with the express goal to prove a creationist uh, um, hypothesis. You'll get no funding. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. That's the but funding. The, the, yeah. It's, and it is, you only have to listen to these people, especially the archeologists themselves. You only have to listen yeah. to them for, for five minutes to realize that they are obviously coming from a worldview. And they also have theories about the specifics of the site before they get there. Yes. So, which is, yeah, it, it, it's hard to believe that any scientist is, is objective, but like them yeah. specifically, because they, there is such a theory and, and there's obviously propriety or, propriety or, or there's there's some fame to be gained right by yes by discovering the stuff and having your name and being on some you know some podcast but think about <laughs> this i'm not going to try i'm not just just consider this for a minute if i'm an archaeologist and you're a rich dude and you're finding me what do you want me to find right something fantastic right exactly so something i'm going to have you have your I hope I'm not going to burst anyone's bubble here, but anyone who watches The Curse of Oak Island, have you ever seen that show? No, never seen it. The Curse of Oak. So they're searching for like this, you know, it's called the, uh, uh, I can't remember. The is, money. That like a, is it a reality show? 
Yeah, it's a reality show. Oh, maybe I have seen it. So they've been for hundreds of years. They're searching for this buried treasure from the Knights Templar and all that. Well, I, I hate to say it, guys. You've been digging in the same spot for like 50 generations. It's not there. Right. right? Yeah. But they're convinced. They're convinced it's there. Because they have I a- think I've seen that. These guys go like diving down these deep. Yes. Yeah, I've I've seen parts of that or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they have again. They're starting with an assumption. They're right. starting with an assumption that there's something down there, and they fully believe it. Now, with the archaeologist or the geologist or whatever, I need to find something interesting, so I'll keep getting the money. Yeah. I need to find a cool looking creature. So if I find a piece of bone this big, and I'm looking for evidence of some terrifying creature i'm going to interpret these bones as being oh this is part of a t-rex or do you get what i'm saying like yeah i have these preconceived notions that work into it because people the way it's it's viewed in the mainstream is that you know they they go out there and they dig up and they find a fully intact t-rex skull like that doesn't (laughs) happen that just does not happen that's not geology or uh, archaeology at all they it's fragments they find. They'll find this, that, or the next thing, and they have to try and piece it together. Well, what's guiding them putting the evidence together? Their preconceived right. ideas. Right. So right. that's why, you know, the first, to, the Bible says the first to state their case always seems right until they're cross examined. That's why <laughs> yeah. we have the court system we do. You ever heard yep. of defense, you know, uh, a, a defense lawyer or the prosecutor, you know, prosecuting somebody only to find out? You know, later on, when they're when the defense lawyer gets his turn, oh wait a minute, there's, do you know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's way more to the story than I thought. I, I was ready to send the guy to the death chamber before I heard that. Yeah, right, right. So it, the problem is most of what we get, or almost none of what we get in the mainstream media, is ever cross-examined. Right. And unfortunately, Christians, like we saw with the Princeton University theologians, and over the years. Um, there are two lies are told to you. Well, you're not, you're not a scientist. You can't know anything. And what are you going to be a, a denier of science? This is a proven fact. Right. And this stuff is jammed down your throat without any cross-examination. And, and you're, and you're bullied really into trying to buy this. And that's where you get these Christians who are well-meaning, but in fear of people trying to lose, you know, I don't want people to lose their faith. So I'll try and jam this nonsense into the scriptures. But it won't fit. Right. Okay. So in terms of uh so that kind of deals with the science that we should always be um you know looking at the discoveries we're interested in or or you know cross-examining people and also like questioning the discoveries that we're told are revolutionary and and changing the way you know we understand how we came to be. But let's well, let's talk about some of like how do we convince people or or how do we um, how do we engage somebody who, you know, maybe is an unbeliever or a believer like, um, on this and like, you're a, a Christian, but you, you're a theistic evolutionist or like just a, a secular atheist, um, type person who's also like, what are some of the tactics we can, you know, kind of use to, to, uh, like engage them on this and then also like just debunk it or disprove, you know, what they, what they're believing. That's a really good question. And honestly, um, I think like uh, this is where apologetics comes in, or being able to defend your faith. And two things go into this is, well, a few things. First of all, knowing the word of God, 
you, you need to know your word. You need to have a, you know, that famous saying, you know, jack, it off, jack of all trades and master of none. It's right. actually the, the original saying is jack of all trades and master of one. So it's good for a Christian to have a broad understanding of things. And thirdly, so your, your understanding of the scriptures and discernment. You need to have discernment and, and, and insight to where the person's at. I think you need to meet people where they're at. Because, again, like you said, if I'm talking to a Christian who's struggling with the idea of, uh, of millions of years, I'm going to appeal to something different than, right. than, than the person that's an atheist, right? So, for instance, if I was debating... Dawkins or uh, Sam Harris, I would point out the inconsistency of their of their worldview. Your worldview and your hope and all this stuff is inconsistent with what you say you believe. You say you believe we're random chance. You say you believe there's no reason for anything. That it's just all happenstance. Yet you have hope. You're looking to do good for the future. All these things. It's inconsistent with your view. If you really believed we're just some cosmic accident then there is no hope but what's there to hope for the best thing that could happen to us is for us to die because the last thing you know the last the last time i checked we're all going to go through pain and suffering in this life pain and suffering makes no sense it's not worth going through if there's nothing to be gained by it if the only thing so i would i would with someone like that i would try and point out the incoherence of their worldview of their position you're not being true to what you say you believe for the Christian, I would point out, I would always, but the Christian, I would always bring it back to the implications on scripture and the implications on your faith. Right now, you may, especially young Christians, you may think it's okay and I can somehow fit it in. But I'm telling you, the sleight of hand that takes place at, at this stage, and I've seen it happen in people's lives, unfortunately, good friends that were, you know, spirit filled Christians, men of God that I've seen fall away because what happened was they started to believe what the world said more than what the word said. And right. what they're weighing the scriptures against what they're considering settled science, i.e. evolution. So really what the enemy's done now is he's done a sleight of hand where the bedrock, where the thing that you are weighing everything against is what the media is telling you is what, is what the scientists or experts are telling you. And that's where he can begin to wedge you away from the work. He, he's not going to do it in one swipe. Right. Right. Especially if you're a strong Christian, he's going to slowly try and ebb away at your faith. And if he can just get one lie in, in, into you, then that's good. If that's all he can get, that's if he has to wait another generation, then he has to wait another generation. We see in that, in the, in the example there from Princeton university, it was three generations before he got someone that completely walked away from the Lord, right? Templeton and Templeton led many, many hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of Christians away from the Lord. So he had a long game in view there. So for the Christian, that's the way I would approach it. Listen, the word of God is not compatible, is not conducive to millions of years. I don't care what anyone says. It, I, we can go through all this stuff about the, you know, the literary structure and all that stuff in, in, uh, in Genesis. At the end of the day, the gospel ceases to make sense if death is before sin. It just doesn't make the whole thing is the wages of sin is death. 
Right. And the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, through him becoming the propitiation for our sins. So right. that, yeah. that breaks down for the Christian. It's not compatible. What so I don't, does that work into that work into gap theory? Because I would say, like, well, let's, let's, let's break those down. So let's talk about the, the, the Christian first, and then we'll talk, we'll go back to Sam Harris. Cause I, I think it's just hilarious what these guys are doing, but yeah. so for the Christian, like arguing, it makes sense to argue along biblical lines. Like they, obviously if you're a Christian, if you say you're a Christian and you say you accept evolution, you do accept, you know, like we had talked about, you don't necessarily think that everything is figurative in the Bible. Yeah. So you are accepting like you have to accept a literal resurrection. You can't say, you know, Jesus, oh. well, he didn't quite resurrect. This is actually science explained it. He did this. Like you have to accept that there are, you know, what we can only imagine are miracles because we can't explain them. Right. And that is the basis of our faith. So then it does make sense to start talking to a Christian about evolution in the, in the terms of the Bible. So, um, yeah, so if we go back to what what we were what we were talking about with that, like, how does that like maybe well maybe explain gap theory and then we'll we'll get into like some of these uh, you know theistic evolutionary theories and why they don't quite fit with the Bible what the Bible teaches. Okay, some good stuff here. Um, so that those types of things. First thing we want to say is uh, I want to say is. A belief system, um, logic, whatever, is like math. So I can't say I believe 2 plus 2 equals 4, but I believe 10 plus 10 equals 21. Right. Right? Right. Because the, the same method that I used to arrive at 2 plus 2 equals 4 necessitates 10 plus 10 equaling 20. Right. I can't change it. So... From the theistic standpoint, there's implications to everything you believe. If, if I try and fit millions of years into the Bible, there's an exegetical implication that that brings in. It's upending the whole way that I exegete the, the scriptures. The whole way I interpret them, I have to change them in order to get them in. I, in order to get millions of years in, I'm going to have to change so many things. And, and and that's where I would, that's where it doesn't make sense to me, right? Right. And it doesn't make sense to anybody. You're going to have to change what you do. So I'm going to have to change the way I do math. Yeah. If, I need to, <laughs> if I need 10 plus 10 to equal 21, I have to do some different kind of math than 2 plus 2 equals 4. No, it needs to be uniform. If I'm doing math, I'm doing math. If I'm interpreting scripture, I'm interpreting scripture. If I'm exegeting it as literal... If I'm going to use scripture to interpret scripture, so here's a good one. This is one that I always use. How did the ancients look at Genesis? How did Paul look at Genesis? How did Jesus look at Genesis? A careful read through the scriptures shows you that even the Christ himself understood Genesis, understood Adam as a literal man, understood the Genesis account of being six days. Paul's, Paul reiterates the very same thing. So the fathers of our faith, those who were inspired with divine revelation, viewed it that way. So right. how we're gonna, I'm gonna come along and I'm gonna override the apostle Paul now? And my <laughs> and and why? And and why would I? What is the 
what is the pressure getting me to try and accept this? It's pressure from the world. It's pressure from the demonic world, from the, from the, the spirit of this world. So right. it has nothing to do with reality. Secondly, another argument I, again, a person that I've watched kind of go down this road, and it's sad, is they stop, they say, okay, well, maybe the scripture isn't the authoritative word of God. It's just kind of a collection of writings that were, you know, inspired by God, but not authoritative. Well, again, we can't go down that road. Because That's a dangerous Jesus, road. Yeah, Jesus, what did Jesus do when he was confronted by the devil in the, in the wilderness? When, when, when Satan said to him, you know, um, throw yourself off the cliff. He said, it is written. It is written. Three yeah. times he says, it is written. He, what did Jesus appeal to? He didn't appeal to his authority as the son of God. He appealed to the word of God. He appealed mm-hmm. to the scriptures. When he rose again, remember he's walking with his disciples and they didn't recognize him after he rose again? Yep. What did he do? He appealed to the scriptures. He showed them through the scriptures when they didn't recognize him that he was the Christ. And he showed them through the scriptures uh, that what would happen to him. And same with Paul. When Paul was um, in Galatians, I think it was Galatians, where he's talking to them and he's explaining to them about, you know, uh, the reason why you should believe the Christ. Yep. He didn't appeal to his, his experiences first. Now, he had a, a crazy experience with Christ. He met the living Christ on the road to Damascus. But he didn't, that wasn't the first thing he used. The first thing he did was the, the appeal to the scriptures and the Old Testament prophecies regarding Christ. So he appealed to scripture. So if we're going to do a proper exegesis of the scriptures, if we're going to exegete the word properly as Christians, we have to go with the founders of our faith. We have to go with what Christ said. What did the ancients think? The ancients looked at that as six literal days. That's how it was understood all the way up until recently in the Christian world. Anyway, recently, and when I mean recently, I mean mid-17, early 1800s. So we started to get this whole long period of time geological idea because of, uh, you know, what's his name again? Myers, because of his assertion that everything must be understood through uh, natural explanation. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, wow, we just know better now, right? Yeah. We just have science now. So, yeah, lots. I mean, that's really good stuff. Not Myers, Charles Lyle. Charles Lyle. Charles Lyle. He's the yeah, the one we don't know the name of. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good stuff for for the Christian because it really it does show through Scripture. Um, there's 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 many places in the New Testament where where he refers to six day creation too, and yes. not and yeah, and, and there's no allusion at all to evolution. <laughs> there's no allusion to an evolving human ever in the Bible. Oh. So, which is another good, another thing to, to, to do um, along that lines for the Christians is uh, we look at the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. So in Acts chapter 17, 11, um, I, I should, I should look up the scripture. I'm going to look it up right now and read it because it's important. This is a little nugget that people need to see. Um, again, it says this. So Paul was talking to these guys and he was explaining the scriptures to them and, and they received it by faith, right? They received Christ by faith. But get this, this is really interesting. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. 
And why? It says they received the word with all eagerness. And then it said this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So in Acts chapter 17, 11, we see the Bereans, they were more noble. Why were they more noble? They received it by faith. They received the impartation of the Holy Spirit, but they went even further to make sure that what they believed lined up with scripture. That's and like, that's a good example. Like it's, it's, it's not just taking yes. your experiences as, you know, existential or taking them as, yes. as supernatural. So yeah, not, so- not just, Rec- yeah, not just taking what somebody, even you know, to your authority point, not just saying, "Oh, this guy's got a, a degree; he must know." I'm not going to question it. Like, <laughs> yeah, then to back, yeah, to to look at it through the lens of scripture and and compare yes. other scriptures. So, yeah, man, that is definitely that is that's a really yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, if you're talking to a Christian about the stuff, uh. I think let's let's move to the non-Christian because that's a tough one too. With eight, like I'm, you mentioned to me a few days ago, Nietzsche, who was actually you said was the most cons- what did you say the most consistent uh, atheist? Nietzsche, yeah, yeah. Um, so well, let's move down this rabbit hole because we have to understand like all these these thinkers uh, are trying to solve the problems that we see in the world that the Bible addresses like um, yeah. Like Darwin was trying to figure out where we come from and, and guys like um, Carl's Marx were trying to figure out like, where are we going and how does like, is it, is a heaven possible? Like he was, he was yeah. describing a utopia. And, and so all these thinkers are trying to like Sam Harris trying to like find meaning and how do we come up with meaning and how do we know there's good and evil and, and, but, but try to explain away god yeah let's let's go down that rabbit hole a little now again from the christian again so christian refuting them we got to remember this uh i'm going to read it again it's always scripture for me um romans one and and he says right i don't know if i'm going to read it at all but uh he says let me see here um i got to find the scripture the best thing to do. Yeah. So the, so it says this um, for, in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men. Now get this. This is so important. He doesn't say about perversion and all that right here. He says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by what? By their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The word in Greek there gives the picture of like pushing down a spring. Like the Mm. truth is trying to spring up and these guys are pushing it down. The wrath of God is coming against those who are suppressing the truth. That's what the enemy does. They suppress the truth. And then it goes on to say this, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. First and second law of thermodynamics right there. They bow out and say, don't look to us. We can't explain God. There's something other than, right, just like the computer. I can't look inside the computer program to find out uh to, you know, I can't look at the microchip or microprocessor 
to find anything about the guy who built the system or programmed the system. Right. It's completely outside of the computer. He yep. exists outside of the computer. He's not subject to anything inside the computer. He wrote it. So yep. it says, really, it's a heart issue. When we look at guys like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, you see a seething. When, when they talk about faith, when they talk about God, there's a seething anger coming out of them. Uh, oh, I can't. I remember Richard Dawkins talking about, um, you know, a child. Uh, I can't remember in school learning that, you know, there is almost mo- most likely no God. He's like, well, I can't I can't be upset about that. That's great. Like, well, why is that great? Again, we go to the whole thing, the suppression of the truth. Why is that great, Richard Dawkins? If you really believe that we're just going to die and there's going to be nothing, wouldn't it be better for someone to to believe in something that's maybe even untrue if it makes their life better? Gives them hope right? and happiness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would, why would that bother you? It doesn't make sense that that should bother you. That shouldn't be bothering you. The reason why it bothers you is because there's a spiritual problem with you. There's a there's a hatred towards God. There's an animosity towards God in both of those men and, and yeah. those like them that they're trying to suppress the truth. They're trying to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And really, that's where what it comes down to. Very little of what they say is really scientific in nature. And it's more antagonistic and an attacking, an attacking way. So we see from, you know, from nature, they're without excuse. Yeah. That the invisible things can be seen. It says the fact that we're here, science says it's impossible. Energy can't be created nor destroyed. Only transferred from one form to another, right? We know that that's a law. That's scientific fact. Science says right off the hop, right off the bat. Our existence is impossible, scientifically speaking. Right. Okay, there's got to be another explanation for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the guys like Sam Harris, like, well, I mean, he dismisses all organized religion because he doesn't like yeah. dogma that leads to, uh, you know, irrationality, basically. Right. So, but yeah, so, well, I listened to... Okay, uh, so speaking of dogma here, here's another thing I'd like to say to the people. To Chris, especially Christians, again, this is who we'll be talking to. Um, you know, Christian refuting this person, or or maybe the Christian that's struggling to try and take what they say as, you know, yep. having any sort of merit. It's the same people that will tell you that the earth is millions of years old and and there is no God and all these things, and to believe them because they're really, really smart guys. I'm a certified yep. smart guy scientist is the same person that will tell you that a man can be a woman and a man can have a baby and there is no such thing as gender and that it makes homosexuality makes sense. Uh, if we take God right out of the picture, homosexuality at the very best would be like a huge evolutionary defect. It should have, it should have yep. been if evolutionary is a progressive process that should have been evolved out long time ago. Right. Why is there still, you know what I mean? If you're born that way, why is anyone still born that way? Did, wouldn't have evolution have taken care of that? Because yeah. the homosexual ones wouldn't have reproduced over time. Well, or, if it was a, or if it was a moral way to live, <clears throat> how can we still, like, why would evolution then evolve to be different? <laughs> yeah. Like, how, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 incons- it's, it's inconsistent. The fact that they'll say, Again, men can be women and women can be men and anything in between. Well, that that is completely unscientific. 
The only thing that's consistent about it is that it removes God from the picture. <laughs> exactly. And, right? and when you look at that, it's not scientific. We know that there's an XY chromosome for a male and an XX chromosome for a female. And yep. that's science. So yep. the fact that these guys will be okay with that shows you what's really going on. Like you said, it's anything that's against God. Yeah. Anything they, that's against God. They don't want to admit it, but yeah. So recently, I, well, actually, it's a while ago. I watched. Um, there's there's a four uh, video series where Jordan Peterson talks to Sam Harris, which is anyone who wants to go listen to that. It's like I don't know how many hours of like the most intense conversation ever. But what I got out of it was Sam Harris is very is very narrow minded in how he interprets. He's trying to get meaning out of nothing. He wants yeah. to he wants people to be able to come up with things like, but Jordan Peterson is also an evolutionist. Like he, he bases everything on, he bases everything on an evolutionary theory, which I think we've, we've talked about this too off, off this podcast, but what gives him a little bit of credibility in the world to actually go out and say what he wants to say. Cause if he was a creationist, he wouldn't have a platform at all. Um, Yeah. But, but the only time he ever makes a point that Sam Harris has a hard time coming up with an argument for is when he's when he's looking to something resembling the scripture or or acknowledging god exists which right. i found like so telling i'm like dude you're right here just 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 yeah. say it just say it <laughs> it's because the bible is true yeah but, like so i get what you're saying so basically in other words his best points were made when they were the, the best points that he made were those that came from, you know, those that are closest to the scriptural background. Yeah. Right? And, like, and he would, and he would have said, well, it's because he grew up in a, in a Judeo Christian culture and whatever. But it, the bottom line is that like, every time you have a good point, it's Christian. <laughs> yeah. Even though you don't, you don't say it. Yeah, so, it's true. I think Jordan Peterson's on his own path like he again i think he's seeing god's drawing him right yep jordan peterson himself is going to have a choice to make you know or as of today are you am i going to take that next step where i where i believe right like again it's all about what do you believe what do we yep. believe we let abraham it, it says we're the children of abraham and what if abraham was declared righteous why because of his faith faith is really the currency of life faith is the currency of life and when we boil it down the word of god is about faith the word of god is about faith in god's word and the the walk with god is about believing god and taking him at his word that's why abraham was declared righteous 430 years before there was a law there was no law when abraham was declared righteous yeah um and abraham and he wasn't circumcised either when he was when he was uh, declared righteous, mm. so it wasn't anything that he did. We, we know that later on, the Pharisees were were talking about, you know, oh, you have to get circumcised in order to be righteous. That was common in the New Testament in the early church. Well, Paul, one of Paul's arguments was, well, Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised. The circumcision was a sign proving. Do you know what I mean? It was right. done yes. as a remembrance of what was already done. Of his yep. righteousness through faith. So really, 
I, most people, including Peterson, when you boil life down, everything takes faith. Yep. You can't live without hope, and you can't. That's why people kill themselves. All people jump off the sky. I live in Hamilton. People jump off the Skyway Bridge. Like my my cousin's a police officer, and it happens like weekly. There's there's people. That's what happens when life without hope. You need hope, and and you need faith. In order to have hope, you have to believe in something. So I think people don't realize when they think of faith, they think of this blind idea of. You know, I believe in this nebulous thing with no evidence. No, faith is, has got some, is a concrete confidence in something that you've seen enough of to know it to be true. And, and, and so if you think about life, I don't go to work unless I believe I'm going to get paid. I, I, I don't, I didn't ask my wife to marry me unless I thought she might say yes. Do you know what I mean? Everything you do, we don't realize it, but as we go through our lives, everything, 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 whether you're an atheist or everything, it takes faith. Unfortunately, the atheists and, and, and maybe even the Jordan Petersons of this world, if they don't put their faith in the right place, they're putting their, their currency, which is the currency of life, faith, in the wrong place where it's going to be stolen and, and produce no result. Yeah. So, really, what it boils down to, it, is where is your faith? The atheists have their faith in what they call science, but it's not. It's dogma. They're way more dogmatic than any Christian. Right. Sam Harris is more dogmatic than anyone I know. He, him and Dawkins, they're they're completely dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. It is all a matter of of trying to explain where, like yeah, where that meaning comes from. Like they're yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's Richard Dawkins. I had a quote from him that he said, this was like way back and he's probably moved a little bit, but he said the whole point of evolution is that it gets us up. He always talks about Mount improbable. It gets us up Mount improbable, which is like basically impossible without miracles. Yeah. So his whole thing was like, if we can explain, he, he also described it as uh Mount improbable was, you know, uh, was a cliff from one side, but if we went around the back, it's just a bunch of steps that we got to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> and then you could take the stairs right to the top. It's like, and that's the way that all these guys view the world and meaning. And, and when they divorce God from creation, they, yeah. they have to come up with something to replace it. Well, there's a bit of a false dichotomy in that one. Mountain probable. Again, he's calling it mountain probable. Um, the implication in that statement would be that it's, it's not impossible. There is, yeah. there is a chance when scientific science shows us there is no chance. The ch- again, the chance of getting one medium sized protein, your body has trillion, like trillions of proteins taking, uh, in your body, right? Yeah. To get one medium sized functional protein to come together by itself is uh, one to the power or 10 to the power of 169. A functional impossibility in, in, uh, as far as a statistician's concerned is, is 10 to the power of 81. So like we're Twice way, bad. <laughs> way on. It's not, it's not that it's improbable. It's, it is functionally impossible. That's yeah. why we get these crazed theories. Again, these same scientists 
will then be, I'm sure if you talk to Dawkins or Harris, they would, they would pause in a multiverse. Right. We know that there's a multiverse. Well, how do you know that there's a multiverse? Again, it comes from their assumption. How do you know yeah. that there's a multiverse? Well, there has to be because, because of the 10 to the power of 169. For life to evolve one time in this, in this, in this universe is way too improbable. There has to be billions. Well, why does there have to be billions? Well, because we can't explain it with a God. It has to be explained through natural processes. And the so numbers then don't work. Science. Well, show me, show me in a lab one of these extra universes. Oh, yeah. we can. Well, how do you know they're there? Because the, the math said they have to be. <laughs> exactly. So again, they're do, they're 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 breaking the very same law they 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 uh accuse the Christian of breaking. Right. They're not yeah. consistent with their own theories. That is not scientific. Multiverses aren't scientific. Yep. They can't be proven. They can't be seen. I can't put them in a lab. Just because it makes sense, you could say, um, you know, just because I can, I can make a mathematical equation fit doesn't mean that that's, that's what happened, right? Yeah, right. Like I could, you could say, you know, uh, Matt, Matt has a million dollars. How did he get a million dollars? Well, he, he got $10,000, you know, a month for so many months and invested it at this rate. Um, now that could mathematically make sense, right? You can make that make sense mathematically. He, he was given $100,000 over 10 months. Well, mathematically, yep. that works out. But the truth is, so uh, my uncle passed away and he just gave me a million dollars. I'm not... I'm not saying that that's true, but that's the truth. That's really what happened. Just because, yep. just because the hundred thousand dollars a month for ten months makes mathematical sense doesn't mean it's true. That's yep. just a theoretical idea. So when we get this this multiverse thing, it's ridiculous. It's, yep. it, it's ridiculous. There's no there evidence for it. It's just it's it's a necessity for them because in the known universe, it's impossible for life to evolve. Impossible. It's impossible for even one protein to get together. Right. And that's on an earth that's already, that's already on a planet that has an ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Try well, and get that. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. So we, we just have to, well, we just have to test the spirits, I guess. Like yeah. when we hear something really, you know, investigate what they're saying and because it, we know it's disprovable and, and for the Christians who are struggling to, to accept the first chapters of Genesis. I mean, there's all sorts of resources, but this has been, uh, this has been a wealth of, uh, you know, things to think about. So for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything else. I'm one like, thing, I'm spent, so. leave Christians with is that where Jesus said this about false prophets, right? Now we, when, when we hear him say false prophets, we, um, we can think of someone that's trying to prophesy or say a prophetic word, but really, a false prophet can be anyone that's positing some sort of truth. And Jesus said this, you will know them by their fruit. He didn't say you'll know them by their fancy arguments. I'm, even in the Christian sense, a Christian, a, you know, a Christian person teaching some crazy idea about God or this new, new revelation about whatever, not saying that there can't be a new revelation, but it will always line up with scripture. But he'll, he says this, you'll know them by their fruit. Are figs gathered from a thistle bush? Well, no, it's not. You, you won't know them by their fancy argument. You'll know them by the fruit that they produce. And 
to the Christian, I just want to say, like, if, if, if you're given something like this, if, you know, you're being pressed to believe something like this and you have a check in your spirit and there's something that's rubbing you the wrong way, it produces, you know, death, if you will, in your spirit. It produces doubt. It produces these types of things. I'm telling you right now, it's false. It's 100% false and it's provably so. If you yep. do what it says in Proverbs, challenge it, put it up to cross-examination, you will find it to be false. Maintain, stay strong in faith, test everything. Paul says, test everything, hold on to what is good, discard what is bad. And when something comes in and you feel like, man, it rubs you the wrong way, it's in, in a bad way, and it's leading you towards you know, a distrust in the scripture or or a distrust in God, test it. Don't accept it. Test it. Know where it's coming from and put it up to the test. And I promise you, if you put it up to the test, it will fail because it's untrue. This is coming from uh, a guy who did. So yeah, <laughs> appreciate it, Matt. I mean, this is this has been great. This is at least like a, a fantastic start of uh, a conversation. Hopefully, you know, we... We get some uh, feedback, some interaction with people, and you know this will spark a bit of a conversation. I know we had, I had lots of conversations growing up, but you know, yeah. as I got, you know, older, the evolution thing's kind of you know gone by the wayside. But no, yeah, this is fantastic. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, for everybody out there, like who's listening, I hope this was helpful. And uh, yeah, keep having uh, good, real conversations, and and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.